Right, welcome, welcome to Radio Free Murktown, a podcast focusing on and funded by the gaming community at ExplorersUnlimited.com. More than just another play-by-post website, Explorers Unlimited is one of the world's largest online communities of Palladium Books fans who are taking part in a single epic storyline in each dimension, within which all player characters can interact. Explorers Unlimited, the only thing missing from the greatest adventures ever imagined, is you. And now here's the host of Radio Free Murktown, Lloyd Ritchie. Ben, I'm a retired game master, and pretty much inching back into play again. Right now, my only character is Shane. He's a Delphi user in AAPS. I have been around for quite a while. Yeah, Ben, uh, tell me, what's that uh, GM retirement plan like? Uh, you know, I've been playing for 12 years, so I think, you know, on, I think I've got some built-up seniority. What, but what's the pension plan like? Are there good health benefits? Um, right now, the main benefit is a lot of nagging to start GMing again. I don't know if I'd consider that a benefit or not, but I pretty much hear about it every two days about how we need GMs and, you know, we really ought to, you know, get more people involved. And would I consider coming out of retirement for a group? And the answer currently is still no. But, you know, at least people are checking up on me. That might be a a tangent benefit. So that actually possibly the only and first decent segue into our first topic. Uh, <laughs> I, normally we just kind of yank our listeners right into the next thing and say, hold on. Uh, but and so our first topic for today is, uh, you know, the, the huge demand for GM since we have tons of players. And uh, what are we looking for most? What is the, what are the requirements and most desired attributes? Uh, Brian, I'm going to let you start this off since you're kind of our, our guest speaker. Okay. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. So, I mean... Yeah, we have a lot of demand for GMs right now, but um, I don't really consider this all all that unusual for EU or really for any gaming site. I mean, we've we've always needed GMs. We will, it's it's a constant need for GMs because GMing is like a hundred times more work than playing a character. So of course you're going to have a lot more players than you will have GMs on the site. Um, and it's you know we want to get people, but at the same time. Uh, you know, I think, I think the single biggest thing is, is frankly just simple reliability. You gotta show up. Uh, you need a GM who is able to do a GM post. And frankly, even a half-assed GM post every week. Uh, that edges out every other requirement in my mind by a mile. Uh, because as a GM, when you start falling behind, and I'm not talking about doing a post like every eight or nine days on the regular. That's generally okay. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about people who, who continuously fall down to the, to the point of doing a post every other week. And I was, I was at this myself a couple of years ago, just because it's, it's disruptive to the momentum in the game. Uh, it, and it, it causes this feedback loop where if the GM starts posting less frequently, players make posting for that game less of a priority. So they're posting less frequently. So the GM has an excuse to post even less frequently. And it starts this death spiral in the game. And the net result is you have all the players quitting in mass. You have the GM who finally admits they can't do it anymore. And it just, it's very disruptive and it causes the game to fold or it causes this, situation where you have a group that's active and has a history and wants to keep going and needs to find a GM. So there's this pressure to find another GM. And at the same time, 
you got to have somebody in there to kind of fill in for the GM, and it's just these stopgap measures, and it's really it's bad for the game. Um, so number one requirement, hands down by a mile, is you got to show up. It That's it. And even Woody Allen quote uh, that about 80% of success in life is simply showing up. Yeah, that's like exactly right. Nodding along with Brian there. He makes a very good point. Um, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's a really messed up way to put it, but it's almost like a child being shuffled through a whole bunch of different foster care. By the time that it actually gets to a GM that's going to stick with it for a long time, everybody's just confused and busy. And that's happened about a thousand times. And I mean, I've been on both sides of this. Like, uh, I've been in a group that almost closed because of GM flakage. And also about a year back, I had my life explode and had to step out myself. But <coughs> the thing that I think is the most important, well, the second most important for a GM, because Brian hit it on the head, is that. A lot of people don't realize it is a lot of work, and it's often thankless. You will have even the best of players who will one week be praising how awesome you are and how your writing is, and the next week being, you know, basically what the beep there. I, I saved you some censorage ahead of time, Lloyd. Be what the beep at you because they're, you know, cheesed off that you didn't interpret that particular skill or power the way that they wanted to. And unfortunately, it's actually a really common thing, even among good players. Good players actually tend to be worse for it because they're more set in the way that they view their character. And I guess it's a culture shock for a lot of people who don't realize how it's often a lot of work and it's often thankless. And, but I mean, it's rewarding. It's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. So the feedback reminds one thing that kind of ties and that's, uh, GMs, and this is my own take on desired attributes. It definitely good jamming. It's just showing up, but I would have to say another part to think you're, uh, you know, think self as being market facing. You want to make them happy. Not necessarily give them everything they want, but you want to, there's some give and take there. There's a negotiation. It's, key course you know when you're off the off camera and uh agreed you know cuss every time so you know maybe their character dies in a scene but man some the dice gods are cruel sometimes but make it dramatic you know make it worth something make it mean something so there's ways to go about even screwing over the player's character without you know pointing oh agreed, so I agreed completely i know you like your economics metaphors lloyd but i'm actually going to disagree with the whole uh players as customers paradigm um, because it, it I think that sort of presenting the GM player relationship as one that's transactional in nature can lead to a lot of what Ben was talking about where you have players that basically uh, I don't want to say are ungrateful but they you know they it's it's a thankless entitled stop. is the word I use customers entitled are there we go yeah. Well, but it's so it's <laughs> but they're not Maybe really they're not really paying. To be, I I was going to say like the, the the GM is the host and they're throwing a dinner party and the players are all guests. Yeah. yeah. And as the host, you want to have you want to make sure that your guests have a good time and enjoy the party while at the same time you can't let them trash your house oh, or yeah, yeah, or compromise the party's integrity for the other guests. Right. And furthermore, it's, you know, it's, it's, the host isn't like turning a profit on this or anything. They're largely doing it 
because they want to create a good experience for people. And it's in many ways a thankless job. It's more work than people who haven't done it generally appreciate. Even AGMs, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the less involved AGMs, I think, don't have the best sense of how much work is involved in even just writing up a simple GM post every week. And I think, and that's not to scare anybody away, but I, I, I like I like the host and party guest paradigm as a better way of describing it than the uh, business and customer relationship. You know, I think it, I think they're complicated. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, I totally think the uh, the host. I think that's perfectly valid. I do. Me too. And you know, and they, the one nice. This is the one thing I try to stress. Hey, you know, if you, you're in a Griff's Group X, and you know, you're just not having a good time. And you know, this is the voting with your feet. You know, uh, you get to, you get to. That's how DM showing value. You know, being yep. responsive to player desires. This is why I also encourage GMs to solicit from the player. What kind of products? You know, I mean, this is the. It's, it's hosting. And there's not, you know, profit kind of element. But you know, that whole. I mean, you don't put an introvert behind a register and expect them. they got to be gregarious people. No, and the, the same token, time. if you got a, if you got a guy who insists on getting into the wisdom water and it's continually screwing up your party you put your arm around his shoulders and push him out yeah. every and <laughs> that is extremely stressful as a gm i think we've all been I, I just want to make a quick addendum along the same token by the way um a lot of people don't realize how hard it is especially at this point with hpcs running around everywhere to balance the needs of the group either yeah it's just it's it, it's bloody hard and i almost wanted to throw in at some point for later discussion do we need to start talking about having restricted and themed groups nah simple discussion nah if people want to form them naturally yeah sure cool i'm with lloyd i can't tell you the number of times i've been privy to a gaming group where somebody acts like you know, setting a power level or restricting people to classes from a certain book or something like that is some sort of secret ingredient to make a fun game. And it it's never worked out. Like when I was in high school, a buddy uh, insisted on running a game where the only classes available were the ones from the original Rift's main book. Uh, and I, I didn't even play in that adventure because I was out of town. But apparently when I came back, my friends just said it was awful. And I think, you know, I, so having had to deal with a Zembank Cosmo Knight for a number of years in Phase World, uh, admittedly, that's my own fault. But, you know, I didn't find it that hard to present some monstrosity clearly geared for Zem and basically draw him away from the rest of the party. And then Zem would be off in a quarter fighting his guy and having a great time. And everybody else would have to deal with the rest of the enemies. You know, it takes a little bit more thought, but one of the reasons why I've never had any issue with power levels and rifts is because there's always something more powerful you can throw at the PCs. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah, there are ways true. to mess with their abilities and, and, you know, turn their power levels into weaknesses instead of advantages. Um, I mean, frankly, that's half the fun in, in the GMing for me, is, to, is designing challenging encounters even for these powerful characters. So I, I, would, I would disagree with the idea that restricting power levels for groups 
is some kind of a, a cure-all for, for guaranteeing a fun game. Uh, in my experience... I was just yeah. going to say, look at the CS group. That's the sort of thing that I was getting at by themed group, rather than you know saying you may not be an alien space worm. Yeah, and see, and they have and they have a good time because that's what they yeah, chose like, to do. If I know. start GMing again, I was considering uh, I was considering either a northern gun group or uh, the other idea that I had that I thought would be a lot of fun would be uh, a Merktown police force. Now, now northern gun that would be a, a sponsored thing. I'd, I'd, Merktown, kind of. I mean, that's but uh, but the but the NG. I mean, that's like a sponsor. Well, there's a way to do that, and there's a couple players who have the EP to make that happen. But that's the only way to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just I'm I'm no more serious at this point than just throwing out ideas. What I elaborating what I meant by theme groups. I think that's another problem of why we're running out of GMs in that in a lot of ways, one of the problems with EU is that it's as it's continued on for so many years, a lot of people are feeling, you know, I've seen and done it all and struggling to come up with novel ideas. See, this is this is something Brian and I have faced as player <laughs> and GM, which is why I threw a love interest at it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a new one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I'm just uh, like, you know, throwing conversation up. Sorry, yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't think it's we're not running out of GMs. The problem is that we're continuously expanding. Yep. And yeah. I mean, we have we have a pretty stable core of GMs, so it's not like there's this critical shortage of GMs on the site. It's just the rate of GM recruitment is not keeping up with the rate of PC expansion, and that's that's been true since the site started in 2005. Agreed. I would argue, though, that we do have a GM shortage in that there really needs to be at least one more game going because new people at this point are struggling to find group openings. Yeah, there's currently a shortage of GMs. And, and I mean, yeah, we need like, one more game. This is kind of, like, like Brian said, this has kind of been the case for There's nothing new here. History. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. This is there's just nothing new here. Cycle. Yeah. Oh, I'm such a moron. That's the other thing I wanted to say. The other thing to realize is that it's summer and that there's a lot, a lot of people with more time than they will have short, you know, in three months where I think that numbers are going to drop probably by 10 or 20% as people get busy again. Maybe so. It's, that seems, um, but, uh, any, any last thoughts on, uh, most desired attributes and what's really required about GMs, Brian? Well, um, you know, someone who can, you know, like I said earlier, just showing up, you know, I think um, for all that we talk about how hard it is to do GM posts, I think at the same time, it's it's maybe not as hard as people might think it is. I mean, we're talking a couple hours a week, most likely, in terms of doing a really thorough GM post that sort of responds, you know, to, to everything the PCs did and advances the story in a constructive fashion. And uh, I would really just encourage everyone out there who, who might be thinking about it to, to take the plunge and go for one of these open AGM spots we have, because it's a really good way to kind of get your feet wet and do GM posts a couple at a time so you can get a sense for it. And, uh, you know, really, if a game master is willing to put their AGM to work, like, I, I've been traveling for most of the last month, so I just had my AGM do the last three GM posts for me because I was out of town and Consumer was busy. Uh, and I, I think I'm, like, one of the few people that uses my AGM like that. Like, I, I tell him to do GM posts for me. 
Um, most other people aren't willing to do that. And I think, I think that's a mistake on part of the GMs for two reasons. One, it doesn't give the AGM a chance to do the GM posts to see what it's like to show up every week. Uh, and two, the, the GMs are, are putting themselves in a position where they get burned out by not having a lot of help. Uh, and I find that taking a couple weeks off every few months with an AGM is just invaluable. Ben, what about yourself? Last I just wanted to, yeah, for the most part, I really agree with what Dark Lord said. You know, for the people who are listening, listen to this guy. He has been around for a long time. He's really made it work for a long time. Uh, I pretty much just wanted to say, though, is don't listen that much to me being old and bitter. The only thing that I was kind of getting at is that he's absolutely right in that, you know, it's only a couple hours a week to do a post, be there, be there on time, you know, do it all the time. Just realize that there's a lot more networking that goes on behind the scenes that people think. And, you know, you got to be communicative at the same time. And also mm-hmm. at the same time, you got to realize, you know, when this one person who's sending you, you know, stuff, you know, five times a week isn't actually going to do anything with it. So you got to kind of be good at people managing as well as posting. That's all. All righty. So next, next topic. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we have Brian here, especially uh, game setting uh, and or uh, overview of riffs of uh, got Brian. Maybe a dimension book. What do you think? Sorry, which book? Say the Just the main book. dimension book. Maybe the face world dimension book. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I really don't know that there's much I can add to an overview of the phase world setting that wasn't said the last time I was on a year ago. Um, just to quickly recap, it is, uh, what is it? It's the entire campaign proceeds according to a design that was set when I set the campaign up in 2006. There is a meta plot that spans every group in the setting um, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to the story. We are maybe at the end of the beginning, at most. Um, maybe. So, so what you're uh, saying is you plan on retiring before retiring. Oh, I, I think it's about even money whether I will die of old age before I finish this campaign. <laughs> That depends. Uh, de- Sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. I, w- I was going to basically make a crack at that depends on how much you keep shooting your players. Yep. Heard, dude, don't don't forget, I live with Captain Cook. I, I I've heard stories. Oh yeah. No, I should uh I should like keep a running tally of how many suits of armor I've blown up and that kind of thing. But it's um you know it's EU's Gonzo game. Unlike every other game on the site, I don't put any restrictions on the power level of incoming PCs. Um, I do require that nobody be an Earth native, um, so we can try and maintain a distinct flavor from the Murktown game and make it more space opera, less gritty, post-apocalyptic. Um, currently, they are, oh, I would say probably around 70% of the way through uh, our own Minion War adventure, which has been going on for a year and a half, maybe two and a half years, I forget. Um, but it's a long time and, um, it's, it's been fun. We've kind of been steadily working our way down center. They started out in the manors. Draxus, their employer was having a dinner party where he got both groups together for the first time ever and basically dropped some, uh, some meta plot knowledge on them. And then the demons attacked. And so we had a very fun little scene where everybody, uh, basically had to fight monsters without any weapons and in just their dinner formal, formal wear. Um, 
And then we went through a series of missions, which I sort of loosely modeled off of levels I enjoyed in uh, the StarCraft II campaigns, the computer game, real-time strategy. Uh, but we've had some defense missions. We had uh, a couple of missions where the parties split up and basically uh, shut down Gateland so that the demons could stop bringing in reinforcements. And they are currently uh, trying to break the siege of center command and control. Uh, unfortunately, through as yet undetermined means, I think, the demons have managed to take control of the artificial intelligence running CNC's defenses. So we have one group that's outside trying to make a difference against the hundreds of thousands of demons that are now fighting Center's siege breakers with the help of Center's defenses. Fortunately, um, you've got Kesselan there to buy enough ammo for those hundreds of thousands. Yes, the dude thought he was overprepared, and he is not. He is just the right amount of prepared. Uh, and then the rest of the group is infiltrating CNC, trying to avoid demons as they're teleporting in, and trying to figure out what the heck happened with these AIs so they can fix it. Uh, and then, and and once, and this is you know because the demons have had their reinforcements cut off and the PCs were able to help secure level one, uh, the demons have largely been confined to sections of levels two and three, and as a result, uh, their invasion is starting to stall. And so if this goes well, then the demons will find themselves trapped between the defenses of CNC, which are excellent, and a tide of oncoming uh, center defenders in league with Spruglath troops, and uh, this will probably cause the invasion of center to fail. And then we'll have one last segment of the of the adventure sort of wrapping up the minion war in the three galaxies. Uh, and then we'll finally be able to get back to regular adventuring with the two groups separate. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of actually an um, overview of the Phase World book itself, since the beginning got uh, 20 pages, I guess, kind of center on center itself and its length. Uh, so... Uh, how about a fairly large dimension? Palladium second dimension book, so it came out way back, way, way back, 90s. And uh, like I said, they're about centigrade, uh, lactic information about fire. Um, how, about an, how about like an opinion about it, uh, Ben? How about... Uh, I've actually, it's kind of funny, I've actually been flipping through it in the background while we were talking, so I did my homework. Um, the original Phase World book is probably one of my favorite books in all of Palladium, which is kind of awesome considering how old that it actually is. Like, the setting has really stood the test of time. It's easily one of my favorites. Center is actually a really kind of often overlooked thing when it comes to running Phase World, I find, which is one of the reasons I really like the Dark Lord is centering his campaign there, no pun intended. Because <laughs> most people are like, you know, Phase World, I want to go off and put the, the characters on their own ship, or I want to go to this planet that has a two-line write-up somewhere and make it their own and all that, which is cool. I mean, that's one of the things about Phase World that's great. You've got a whole universe to do whatever the hell you want with. But you, you don't really see anybody in center, and yet, literally, it's pretty much the most important place in that particular galaxy so that's cool and i mean like the book talks about that for a while and then you know it goes on to you know very popular old rccs i mean i, I love the machine people i've got i i burned a high power on lock on that wolf and quatoria are amazing too i have no idea why we've never seen one on eu before maybe we oh, have, we have. 
we have. Yeah, they never stuck they're, around. They're, but, yeah, yeah, they're just they're just cool. And I mean, the, the Noro are really cool. And there's actually a lot of people really overlook the Noro Psychic OCC. And in let's, I mean, let's face it, in Palladium, there's a lot of repetition of abilities and stuff like that, right? Right. And uh, they can do something that nobody else can. There's no, there's you guys able to hear me some static there yeah yeah, yeah the, they can actually summon summon and control entities out of nowhere and so they actually call this class the ghost makers and there's nothing else like that really in rifts anywhere you know and so there's uh, yeah that's kind of cool and then the only thing that i would like that uh, a lot of people well not the only thing but that a lot of people overlook too is the creating more alien races tables i love those as a gm not just for phase world but uh in a lot of places it talks like uh in north america and stuff it talks that there's literally thousands and thousands of different undocumented races like undocumented is in not like statted and everything that come out of the rifts all the time and you know it gives you the ability to to fire up a decent rifts character for any setting inside of two minutes <coughs> and you know that's often overlooked too and the only thing about the book that is worth discussing i mean it really doesn't matter that much to a campaign given what we discussed earlier. But the biggest disadvantage with Phase World is that's when I think the power creep that Palladium is famous for really kind of took off. Like in the space of one book, suddenly you've got a melee weapon that's not even magic that does three dice six times ten. You know, that's that's pretty out there. And uh, the high laser rifles are way past Earth, you know, average damage and stuff like that. And I kind of get it like they you know they had to make it super technology because of space and all that but a lot of people including myself do blame this book for when the craziness sort of started anyway over yeah. to, back to lloyd and brian yeah so for myself uh yeah i i, I reckon that's more of an off uh take all of his handiwork creeps the power did in phase first kernel massive flowering plant that would be power and south america yeah yeah that's hence my point it's the author uh, and, you know, it's okay. It's just a different kind of setting. Yeah, it's opera. That makes sense. Um, but one of the things I'm serious, uh, some of the flavors, stole my thunder with adding, but, uh, Sector Lock, W-powered space, like, steampunk retro badass, uh, and then you get the new technology. That is really interesting. Uh, so, uh -huh. there's all, I mean, there's some stuff I really don't like stuff. Some of the illustrations, terrible, but... Can I pause you for one sec? I love, too, that they made the Splugorth a little bit more expansive than just Atlantis. Like, that opened up the concept that there were other ones out there, each with their own empire. That's another nice touch. Yeah, well, I mean, it does standing. I mean, it's, it's a meta the main course of all of these, like, economic, uh, like, vying more. But, uh, epic scape based off Cosmic Forge and the Cosmic... Yeah. And then it just keeps getting better as they add more Dimension books, too. I, I, I forgot to touch on that. Yeah, that... And as a rule, it's all well written and it's all thought out. Like in that, in the other book, they, in, not only do they have the tables for sentience in this book, they've also got tables in another one for whipping up, you know, random alien animals and stuff like that, which is always fun. 
you know, like right before a fight, you whip something up and you're like, I don't know what it's going to do either. Savage talked about a lady of content, you know, the riffs, and uh, taking Savage World's material and diving, dialing it up to Sean Patrick Fannin's favorite phase world is taking riffs and dialing. It's just power stomp you got going. Back to Brian. Brian, any last thoughts? Um... Well, I have a couple of thoughts. So, C.J. Carella is well known for being an author that introduces a lot of so-called power creep in his books, but I think it's important to note that he wasn't just doing it for the sake of power gaming. If you if you read like interviews the guy has given back in the day, he he talks about one of the fairly well documented problems with Palladium system, namely that the combat tends to drag on. And so if you look at his books, a lot of the power creep generally takes in the form of weapons that do more damage. There's a little bit of power creep in terms of like armor that's more resilient, but by and large, he just turns the offensive dials up on all of his stuff. And that's because that's that's to try and address that problem with the Palladium system. If you have weapons that do a lot more damage, it results in faster moving combat. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons that I like a lot of this stuff. You know, of course, also I'm at heart a bit of a power gamer, so I like that aspect of it too. Um, <clears throat> as far as this book in particular, I, you know, there isn't a whole lot I can say that you guys haven't said. It's basically. You know, it's taking rifts into space, doing a space opera, turning the dial up to 11. Um, it's, I mean, the scope of the book is very ambitious. You know, you're not covering, you're not just covering center in this super city on this, you know, mysterious planet called Phase World. You're covering three galaxies worth of material. Uh, and by, by the very dint of that scope, it sort of suffers in terms of detail, the first book in particular. Uh, I mean, there are not a lot of, there are not a lot of locations described in center in any particular detail. You have basically these levels of this city, each one the size of what we would consider a normal city. And so with center in this first book, you're basically getting 10 cities for the price of one. Um, but you're, you're getting, you know, roughly a page or two per level. So naturally you're going to, you lose a lot of the detail, which, can be good for a GM that wants to sandbox it up and sort of do their own thing, but it can also be bad for, for GMs like me who are overworked and sometimes like to rely on a little more pre-gen stuff to sort of get their ideas started off or to, you know, to spare us some of the more detail work. Um, having said that, subsequent books obviously go a long way towards addressing this. Dimensional Outbreak in particular has very detailed sections describing center uh, and I've, I've found that book to be very valuable, not just during this Minion War adventure, but for planning adventures in Center in general, uh, where you get actual maps of what the interior of Center looks like and so forth. Um, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. I've always loved the Prometheans. Um, there are some interesting RCCs that aren't really replicated anywhere else. Ben already mentioned the Machine People. I'd like to add the Phantom onto that because those have always been a favorite of mine, and there's really nothing like them anywhere else in Palladium. Um, you know, the, the only downside, I would say, is maybe they devote a little too much real estate to statting out equipment and the like. And I mean, to a certain extent, this is necessary. You have the different flavors of technology, different weapons that do this, and you need to have a couple of different types of robots for things, various fighting vehicles, and so forth. But... 
I think perhaps for an introductory book, it would have been better to just focus on setting material and then release a source book later that has more of the weapons stuff. As it is, though, the the phase world setting has gotten more support in terms of books published than most of Palladium's dedicated game settings. Well, maybe not most, but a significant percentage of them. Uh, so I can't complain too much about lack of material. Um, I thought it was fun that he sort of tied a lot of the stuff here to what he did in his first book for Palladium, Rift's Mercenaries, um, in particular with Naruni, uh, and to a certain extent with Splugorth. Um, you know, it's, it's nice. The Splugorth get maybe two pages out of the entire book describing their domain, but because they have so much described in other books, it makes a lot immediately accessible to the setting. And so pound for pound, I think that was a good addition to have them in there. Um, that and the fact that they just form natural wild cards for all of these like factional politics the book is trying to set up, like CCW versus TGE, a Spoolgorth could play an interesting spoiler role there. And then, in fact, that's kind of what I've earmarked for them in my own uh, meta campaign on EU. So it... You know, it's a really strong dimension book. Um, it's ambitious in scope and suffers a little bit in details for that, but it kicks off one of the more um, diverse, one of the richer settings that Palladium has available. And uh, for that reason, I think it's a great book. Right. Fantastic. Uh, and now our typical non-transition transition to the next topic. It's the great photo bucket debacle of uh, 27. So uh, for those of you who haven't... Yeah. So the... Uh, for those of you who maybe have noticed image links or kind of stupid kitty picture, uh, it's a placard that's taken. Um, this is because Photobucket uh, put an end to their third party unless you pay a great deal of money for them. We're talking 400 Wow. Yeah. Hence, we're no longer on Photobucket, gentlemen and ladies. Uh, so that is math. And really, they were just getting ridiculous with all their ads and meta ads and pop-up and nightmare. Unfortunately, he had well accumulated what ended up happening. Uh, our wonderful admin, Tyree, Jeff GM, and myself uh, got the repository started. There's going to be a lot of work for GMs in the future. Fixed, hopefully. But comments, suggestions, Ben? As an IT professor, it's really interesting to see what Photobucket has done because they've basically mandated their own death. I'm assuming what happened is that somebody had said, you know, the company's going under. We might as well try to make a loan last buck while we can but they essentially rendered themselves irrelevant like nobody's going to pay that not even the stupidest person so you know other topics that directly eu aside i'm really curious to see what actually happened there and if anybody knows the story or you know they've heard about it you should post up about it but anyway yeah i don't know what their game is and it really kind of Screw the you because pretty much everything was there. Though I did want to tell you too, Lloyd, have somebody check uh, the forums that I was working on because I was using uh, Imgur. So the CS stuff should still be intact. Um, all the stuff that I was redoing should be intact. You get just send somebody to go there and look. Brian? Well, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have too much to say on the subject. You know, I'm, I'm, I use images a lot less than most of the other people on the site. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm affected insofar as everything on the site is infected, uh, affected, but it, I, I really agree with just everything Ben said. I mean, it seems like, it seems like there's no upside to them for doing this or very little upside. Uh, and it, it, it defies 
defies business sense. I mean, there's so many free alternatives out there. Anybody would have to be nuts to pay that much for this. Um, so yeah, it seems like they really kind of screwed themselves over. Maybe, you know, maybe they were just running for the door to get what they could. Uh, maybe they were going under anyway, but yeah, it seems really dumb and it sucks. It's going to be a lot of work for people. I'm, I'm definitely going to delegate most of the work that I need to do for my images when the time comes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really all that I have to say there. So, uh, uh, now, uh, we're not going to allow players at the player not to abuse it. That's not actually a problem, right? So, has a site, um, right-click and copy URL or however your browser calls it, um, and then grab it an image, tag, and you're done. Kind of handy. It's not easy, but completely ad-free, you bought hell. And I have a category presently, there's like, you know, an entire, there's also a couple top hierarchy category, like, Setting fan flag, so we might might buy by item type avid. It's all nice thing we got here that we didn't have. Have don't have, have the same so so that mm. leather armor because you're like dead. Right? Yeah, it sounds almost like tagging. <coughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Patrick's been kind of promoting that, and I'm like, that's a hell of a lot of we don't really launch taxonomy, but but yeah, but uh, but for the GMs and AGM, there is you have a guy sub sub thread. And uh, I brief guide, uh, and then Patrick put a bit of made a wonder uh, post about how to fantastic, highly rec GMs, PMs, promulgate this knowledge to your AGM. Okie dokie. <laughs> it'll it'll make their jobs a lot easier. Um, so, any last thoughts on the uh, image repository? Ridiculous photo bucket debacle. <laughs> Just one. I'm really glad that EU took it on itself. Uh, I, I helped Tyree with it a little bit. Same thing when you guys actually moved over to your current host. I use them for business. But I'm really glad that EU has control of its own repository now. It's something that should have been done a long time ago. But it just got so massive and so sprawling and so much stuff that it wasn't, you know, nobody wanted to take that on until now. Yeah. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, we literally have thousands. <coughs> so, yeah. It's been. There's still more. Okay, so the last uh, last subject before we uh, kick Brian out, so he can go party like it's 1999, is the hmm. uh, the And this was a, a suggestion brought up by uh, by one on the forums. Uh, the character archives, as I mentioned, that he uses it in his tabletop game to print out automatically set up, statted, equipped. NPCs and or villains take on the character archive, Brian? I, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, I, I don't really know how in high demand it'll be, but uh, we can we can think about ways to organize the character archive to make it more accessible as something other than a holding pattern for PCs that might come back later. Um, things like subfolders for characters by level. Uh, maybe some sort of, maybe some tags for OCCs or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting idea. Uh, is it really worth investing that much time into? I don't know. Um, I could see it being useful for something like a con where people need a lot of pre-gen characters. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so it's a neat idea. Um, and, and, Probably we should try to make it a little more user-friendly if we can do so without that being a hassle. Um, beyond that, I don't know if it's really going to be that much of a game-changer and whether it's worth investing that much time into, but it's an interesting thought. Try erratic class and race of guys that would know basics, right? Instead of just the name, and you're like, oh, it was Iron <laughs> or whatever it might be. Who's this Ronin? Hmm. Uh, so, 
yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing I think I've tried to somewhat to mitigate, Ben. I just wanted to touch on the other aspect of it, which uh, neither of you thought of. Some people might get pissy at the idea of, you know, people using it. So there's the thought of, is this my character, you know, am I okay with other people using it? And the answer is, is that once you put it publicly on the internet, it's public domain anyway. So so people really ought not to get pissy about it. But, you know, there is that line of, uh, there is that line of thought. As a courtesy, I would probably, if I was going to recycle a character into an NPC or something like that, even if it was thinly veiled, and that is the sort of thing I've been known to do, I would probably look at the character and see if it belonged to anybody, you know, if it was, you know, uh, a flake of somebody who was still on the site as another character. And if they were, I would throw them a courtesy, do you mind if I do this? But aside from that, no. No, you know, use people should feel free to go ahead and use it. I think it's a, a wonderful tool, and yeah. I yeah, I, I have, but it's basically uh, tiring. Anyway, once your character archive, not the EP actual archive. Yeah, you have vetoed your control of it. They are officially done. Yeah, you you have. You, mm-hmm. you can be courteous. And, and nice, you have to do that because what happens if a GM has a, a story going where you know that player is you know critical to what they want to accomplish. And, you know, like, they've got some part in the story that they want, they need someone to talk to a spirit, and then the group's only mystic, you know, pisses off into the land of nowhere. There's got to be a recourse for that. Otherwise, the flakes become even more of a problem. And, and there are hunt character fails, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if you're looking for some, uh, there are countless off-character and about-character match settings. So. Well, Fizzworld has about 150 characters. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of content. You know, time-saving NPCs already statted out with gear and everything ready for your use. Uh, so feel free to make use of them. And by the way, don't be shy about saying, hey, Devnet, or game whoever, DM, let them know, hey, there's nothing wrong with And you know, there's hundreds of NPCs ready for your use right here. Go ahead. Um, any last thoughts on the wrap-up? I do have a couple of uh, non-RMFK questions for both of you. Oh, so give okay. me 10 seconds after you after you close up. That's all. Just don't kick, don't kick uh, Brian out for 10 seconds after. But go ahead and do your clothes now, and I'll ask after. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Radio Have a good one. And always remember, it's not the monsters that should scare you, it's the GM. This has been Radio Free Murktown, a WMRK production. Contact us at RadioFreeMurktown at gmail.com and support Radio Free Murktown on Patreon for as little as $2 per month. Visit us on the web at explorersunlimited.com for more information.